take your Bibles and again, open up. We're in Romans chapter five. Uh, we'll be in verses 12 through through 21. Uh, and uh, let's read that together. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin for sin was indeed uh, for sin was indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin was not is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us from your word uh, today. We pray that you would uh, just give us uh, what you would have us uh, feed upon today from your word, that your spirit would be living and active and, and at work in our hearts. Uh, we pray that we would submit ourselves to your word. We know uh, that you have something for each one of us today. And so, Lord, we want to just come with open arms and ask also that you would give me the words to say that that this passage would be made plain and clear and that we would uh, respond uh, to you and your word. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Sometimes uh, in life you will have people that will stand uh, as your representative. Uh, if you get a lawyer, that lawyer will stand as your representative. And that's why you have things like attorney-client privilege, because that lawyer can actually speak for you. And so you need to be able to tell them things uh, that are kept confidential. Sometimes in a sports team. You will have a team captain, and that team captain stands as your representative. Uh, the acts that they do oftentimes represent the whole team. So you think about the beginning of a football game, and the team captains go out onto the field, uh, and they call for the coin toss. And as they toss it up, one of them will say, heads. And so, depending on how it lands, is how the actions go for the whole team. And then if you win the coin toss, the, the captain will say whether or not uh, they want to kick the football or whether they want to receive the football. And so the 
captain takes action and makes a decision, as it were, that applies to the whole team. If you are on the bench and not the captain, you don't get to say, well, wait a minute, I didn't, I didn't want the coin toss to be called heads, or I didn't want to receive the football, I wanted to do the kickoff. Well, in that respect, the, the captain has spoken and acted for you on your behalf. He was your representative. And if you're on the team, his representative act stands for you. When it comes to the working of God and when it comes to uh, even the working of creation in human history, we have representatives. Adam is a representative of all humanity in the Garden of Eden. And so his acts have have consequences and effects for all of us. The Lord Jesus Christ on the cross is a representative of his people. He stands for those who will receive his grace, as we see in this passage. And so the the question that we need to ask this morning is, who represents you? I don't want to be crass about it, but you could almost in in a way say, whose team are you on? Are you on Team Adam uh, or are you on Team Jesus? Now, all of us, by, by uh, virtue of being born, by virtue of being a human, we come into this world as Team Adam. Adam is our representative. The question is now in your life, does Jesus represent you? So Paul in this passage is giving us, in a sense, the, the scope of of biblical history there are two great acts adam's act in the garden his transgression and jesus's act on the cross as our representative there are two key figures and their acts stand in representation of their people uh, we can see this as well in first corinthians chapter 5, 15 verses 21 to 23 paul says this For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. 1 Corinthians 15.22 For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming, those who belong to Christ. This idea of in Christ shall all be made alive. It means that those in Christ, in Christ is a language of of being in union with him. All who are in Christ shall be one day made alive, just as all who are in Adam shall die. And we do die and come under the curse of creation because of Adam's act. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15:23 that then at Jesus' coming, those who belong to Christ, and it's the idea of that's when, the, that's when we get our resurrection. That's when all in Christ are made alive. But this language uh, is you either belong to Adam or you belong to Jesus Christ. Either Adam's act represents you and you are under condemnation or Christ's act represents you and you have life. And so we want to ask the question in this morning's sermon simply again, who represents you, Adam 
or Christ? Who stands for you? Which one are you in? Are you in Adam and therefore in your sins? Or are you in Jesus Christ and therefore have the gift of salvation and righteousness from him? So we have this morning, because of Adam's one act, death enters creation and all people, everybody, share in it. So death came into creation because of the sin of one person. Look at verse 12. Therefore... Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. Paul is making it very clear here. Sin and death came into the world because of one person's act. All of creation was cursed. We call it the fall because of Adam's One act. This is a reference to the Garden of Eden. And in Eden, Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. And Adam in particular was to stand as a representative of all humanity. And so Adam is given the command in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of the of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat, you shall surely die. We sometimes, as we read through uh, the Genesis narrative, we take note that that Eve is created after this, when Adam uh, is in need of a helper, and that's a, a wonderful and exalted position for Eve to be to be placed in, it doesn't mean lesser or inferior as a, as a person, uh, but it really means a helpmate, someone who, who comes alongside. And then sometimes we, we really uh, harp on Eve and get on her case that she ate the apple first uh, but uh, and then gave it to Adam. And of course, Adam then throws Eve under the bus and says to God, you know, well, it's this woman that you gave me. But in Adam doing that, Adam was the one responsible He should have told Eve, hey, Eve, we're not supposed to eat of this tree. And and somehow we know that she knew the commands, but but Adam was there along the way. And Adam was the one that stood as the representative of all humanity. That, That as he acts, he acts as the team captain, as it were. And so after they sin, we know Uh, that God punishes them in various ways. And to Adam, he says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it. You were taken for you are dust and to dust. You shall return. Paul will say later on in Romans chapter eight, that because of Adam, all creation is subjected to futility that that you think about how, you know, it works. You you plant something in your garden And why is it that weeds come up? Why is it that it's work and hardship and sweat of your brow? Why is it painful and and annoying? Why is it that that there are viruses and uh, evil uh, sicknesses and illnesses in creation? Did God create it that way? No, God created creation and he said, it's good. But when Adam sinned, he plunged all of creation, not just humanity, but everything else that he stood as a representative of 
particularly human beings. Why is it that there is death in creation? It's because Adam sinned. Why is it that you and I come into this world and even from before we are born, we are guaranteed that we will one day die? That life is, is not easy. That life often has hardship and sickness and illness and, and sometimes even our DNA or, or, or our bodies don't work as they should work under God's creative power. Why is that? Because Adam sinned. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And Paul is going to focus on then the one act of Adam. So he says here, though, uh, so death spread to all men, or we could translate it, death spread to all humanity, all people, because all sinned. And some have suggested we should translate that part because of this all sin. The idea here is that in Adam, everybody dies. You come into this world and yes, you come in as a sinner and yes, you will die. And yes, we sin. But why is it we come into the world as sinners? Why is it we come in with a a death sentence? Why don't we just start off, everybody starts off kind of in neutral, and then you get uh, to decide which way you want to go. Imagine how it would work on, on a sports team if everybody automatically decided if they wanted to kick or receive. You wouldn't actually have a team. You'd have half your people deciding we want to kick off and half the people deciding we want to receive. And you're supposed to play on the same team. And how can you even play the game then? The point is God made Adam as a representative. I think we need to remind ourselves that we would have been no better than Adam if we would have been there as the representative. Adam was a human being just like each one of us and we all would have made the same decision. Even more than that, when you think about how you come into this life, you come into this life uh, a sinner. No one has to teach little children how to sin. Sin is not just a product of environment, although it can be stirred up even more by environment. We are born in sin because Adam represented us. And so if you think you could do better, think of this for a moment. When Adam sinned, Adam was in a state of innocence. Adam was completely innocent at the time of his sin. He had no internal inclination to sin. You know, that that sort of side of us that that tempts us. that, that, That we find sin to be appealing. We wrestle with what Paul calls the lust of the flesh. Any kind of sin that is pulling at us and driving us. Adam had none of that, and he still sinned. And how then can we sit here today and say, well, if I had been there, I wouldn't have done what Adam did. You absolutely would have done what Adam did. Because Adam was a true human being, just like you and I. And he stood as our representative, as our team captain, as it were. And then as we go through, Paul will make a comparison uh, between Adam and Moses. For he says, for sin was indeed in the world because before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. And so you think of someone that Paul might have been writing to. And you think of like, like how the Pharisees might have counted themselves to be righteous by their ability to keep the law. And Paul's been saying, yes, but, but 
everyone breaks the law. We are all sinners. And then someone might counter to Paul and come back and say, well, Paul then, did people sin then before God gave the law at Mount Sinai? And Paul says, yeah. Yeah, people were sinners. Sin was in the world before God gave the law to Moses. I mean, you just look at biblical history. Cain and Abel, right? Cain kills Abel. That was before there were the Ten Commandments specifically given. You know, Cain knew that it was wrong, even though he hadn't read the tablets given to Moses that said, thou shalt not kill. Sin was in the world and they knew it was wrong. You think of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah as well. You can think of uh, numerous other examples in the biblical storyline. You think of the days of Noah. You think of the Tower of Babel. Sin was in the world. But Paul says, but sin is not counted where there is no law. This is the idea of there is no legal reckoning of sin. There, there is no, uh, it's sin and it's wrong and it's evil and we know that. But, but there is no legal way to account for it yet until there's a law. Let me kind of just use a human example. I don't know if this is exactly how it worked, but for the sake of example, you'll just have to play with me here. Imagine before there were credit cards, right? Stealing is wrong. And then they start making credit cards and credit card theft comes along. People can steal your identity and steal your money specifically through taking your credit card. And yet there probably was a time where there was no law. There were laws that said stealing was wrong, but there was nothing that covered credit card fraud. Was there the sin and the wickedness and the evil of credit card fraud before the law was made that credit card fraud is illegal? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure they probably figured out ways to charge people. But you know how it is in the government. Then they, then they come along and say, we need to beef up the law. We need to make a better law to handle this crime that has, has started now. And so they write a new law. And so then when you take someone to court, you have a specific way of reckoning charges against them for holding them into account. Paul is saying all the way from Adam to Moses, yeah, People had been sinning. It had been wrong and sin is in the world. And how do we know people were judged for their sin? Because people died in that whole period. Death is the punishment for sin. And death entered creation because of Adam's act. And then the law came. The law given to Moses. The law at Mount Sinai. And God spelled these things out even more. But it wasn't as if there was no penalty for sin before that. It wasn't as if people were getting off scot-free. Paul is again showing us how Adam's act represented people. We see death and creation between the biblical time frame of Adam and Moses. Look at verse 14. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those who were sinning, not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. So the idea here is is people were sinning and they knew that it was wrong, even though there wasn't a specific command of the law given during that time. Adam was told, hey, if you do this, you're going to die. That's going to be the punishment at the, the, the giving of the law. Part of the thing is 
do this and you will live. Do this and you will die. In, in some ways, it, it fits the pattern of what was given at the Garden of Eden. And, and Paul is saying, but you know that death reigned during the time in between, even though the law hadn't been saying yet, do this and you'll die. Why? Because Adam was the representative who plunged all creation into sin. When we stand before God as our judge, we are not going to be able to claim, well, I didn't know that that was wrong. You know how your kids are sometimes when they do that. Even sometimes, you know, like you, you lay out the rules and you're very careful and, and, and you maybe even put a list up on the refrigerator or whatever. Hopefully it's not too long and exhaustive. But then the kids come along and they, you know, they, you've, you've told them before, hey, don't eat a cookie before dinner. And they come in, they're playing, they come in, they eat a cookie and they, oh, I didn't know that, that we weren't supposed to do that. Oh, I thought that was last time, not this time. It's almost like if you don't retell them every single day, suddenly the rules reset and they don't apply. Some of you parents are smiling. It obviously goes on in your home as well. But you can't make this claim. You can't say, well, I never read the Bible. I never heard the Ten Commandments. Somebody living in the time of Moses can't, couldn't say, can't say at the last judgment, well, or excuse me, somebody living at the time of Noah, for example, couldn't say at the last judgment, well, we didn't know these were wrong because the, the commandments, ten commandments, weren't given until till uh, several thousand years later. Death reigned because Adam represented us. We are born into this creation under death, and in that death, yeah, we absolutely go out and compound that with our own sins, and we are guilty of our sins. But why did God do this? Adam stood as our representatives. Two things I want you to think about first this morning, and we'll kind of unpack this as we go. But what you think of Adam will affect what you think of Jesus Christ. We all like the idea of Jesus Christ representing us. We all, I would hope, want that. But then sometimes when it comes to this idea of Adam standing as our representative, we might say to ourselves, well, that doesn't seem fair. And then, as I said before, we might even say, well, if I was there, I wouldn't have done that. Why should I come into creation under a death sentence when I didn't do anything? Adam stood as your representative and would have done exactly what you would do if you had been there. But even more than that, God sets up all of human history around two representatives. Either Adam stands as your representative or Jesus stands as your representative. And how you understand Adam's representative representation, what you think he did or didn't do for you, will connect to what you think Christ does or does not do for you in his representation. In other words, if you don't like that Adam's one act represented you, represented you, how are you going to like that Jesus' one act represents you? You want Jesus to represent you, then let's also acknowledge that Adam represents us. We are all born sinners and in need of salvation. 
Because we come into this world in Adam. Can I get little banners and foam fingers? Team Adam. That's the way that we're born. Because God set up human history this way so that Christ could represent us. Second thing this morning, we really need to buck the opinions of our culture and the portrayal of our culture that people are born basically good. We're not born basically good. We're born under sin. We're born, and from the moment that we are conceived, we are already getting old and dying and wearing out. Now, hopefully and thankfully, many of us live uh, long spans of life. But you have illnesses, you have sickness, you come into a world where, where there is a constant struggle, where there is a moaning and groaning in creation. And why is that? Because you come into a world where, where Adam acted in the Garden of Eden as a representative. God created it good and Adam sinned. And we come in as descendants of Adam. We are part of his kingdom. We are an heir. Just as we would have been an heir of the Garden of Eden and all the good things that God made out of creation if we were born. In a sense, you can say, yeah, let's, let's blame Adam. But we are not born basically good. Now, look, little children, yes, they're really cute. And yeah, they have nice smiles and all of those things. And those are wonderful and good. And I'm not trying to minimize that for a second. But you, if you've been a parent for any amount of time, know this. You don't have to teach your little kids to be bad. I remember one of our daughters, and I won't say which one, uh, but when she was really young, like two years old, we had brownies out on the counter. And, and in the morning our, at our old house, our bedroom was downstairs and hers was upstairs. And in the morning... I'm downstairs in our, in our room and we're next to the kitchen and I hear this crinkling of plastic. And then, I, you, know, then you don't hear anything. And I actually thought it was a mouse uh, you know, running on the counter because we had that happen one time when we were renting an apartment. And so I just, oh, it sounds the same. And I, and I walk out there and, and here she is. She's down on the floor, cutest little two-year-old you could ever see. She's got the plate of brownies and half of... Her hand is filled with brownies. And you know how you smush them and they fall over. And she looks up and she's just got brownies all over her. And she just has this, I mean, she's cute and adorable. And yet she knew this was wrong. And she kind of looked at you like, what? I'm just here eating brownies. Your kids are cute, but you don't, I didn't have to teach her. Her coming down and sneaking those brownies was not a, a product of her environment. Now, I don't think she got in too much trouble because we did try to give her instruction and correct in a positive way. But you don't have to teach your kids. You don't have to teach your kids how to fight. If you could grow up on, a, on an island with no bad influences ever around you, you would still learn and know and grow and figure out how to sin. Why? Because that's how we come into the world. It's just the way that it is. It's the reality of life. So, as we continue to move through the passage then, the question for myself is, do I have Adam representing me, or am I now on Team Christ? So, second this morning, Adam's work brought death for his people. Christ's work brings life for his people. Look at verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. So the gift in Christ is better than the result of Adam's act. 
The consequences of Adam's act are worse, obviously, and the consequences of Christ's act are far, far better. Look at the beginning of verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin. So, you have here, on the one hand, Paul is drawing a connection. Adam is a type of Christ, he will say. But on the other hand, there is a distinction. Adam's one act leads us down this horrible road where all things are condemned. Christ's one act brings life to those who receive the free gift. Christ's one act represents His people. So, look at verse 16. We're going we're gonna to break this down now because each verse Paul goes just as Adam and then he'll go Christ and Adam and Christ. So, I'm going to kind of, instead of going verse by verse, we're going to go the first half of the series of verses so you can see Adam's act. And then we'll come back around and do the second half. So, I'm breaking it down by a logical order, not necessarily a verse order flow. So, if you look at this here, we want to look at Adam's one act. Verse 16. For the free gift is not like the result of, of the one man's sin. So here's Adam's. For judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. Adam committed one act in the Garden of Eden and it brought condemnation to all creation, specifically all people whom he represented, which is everyone who's a, a physical descent of Adam. But Adam was our representative. Verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through one man. So Adam's one act caused death to reign. Death is personified here like a a king. It rules. It has power. It has control. We are we are subjugated to its authority. You do not get to look death in the the eye and say, I don't want to die, and then have death go, oh, whoa, whoa, sorry, didn't know that. Okay, well, wish you would have told me that sooner. You, You are under its reign. You don't get a choice in the matter. You die. We all die. The reality of life is that death is over us. Sometimes I think in our world, we, um, we kind of deny the reality of death. We, we kind of push it aside. I think particularly in our culture today, particularly young people, but it happens at all levels of culture, we, we don't want to acknowledge it. We don't want to deal with it. Uh, you see it in simple things. You think about how all of the beauty products that you can buy to make yourself look younger, kind of you want to feel like you can live forever. You think sometimes I think the fitness craze that we have going on in our culture is because we just don't want to face the reality that you're going to get older. You're going to, you're going to die. Maybe you'll lose your hair. Maybe you'll get wrinkles. Uh, your body just won't work like it's supposed to. Uh, but even more than that, sometimes we even you know, deny it by the language we use. You think about when someone dies, we'll say, what? Well, well they passed away. And I understand sometimes that's a good way to say it, just to be sensitive. But at the same time, we need to be careful that we don't treat it as something that doesn't sting. The Bible describes death 
as a sting, as painful, as horrible, as not the way that God intended things in the Garden of Eden. Death is not good. I read a book. uh, It was on some of these topics, and the author used this illustration that he went into uh, uh, an elderly, a home for the elderly. And he said they had this beautiful mural there. And it was a picture of a setting or a rising sun. You couldn't tell which. But the line said this, the sunrise is as beautiful as the sunset. Now, physically, in the real world, yes, that's true. Have you ever seen a sunrise and a sunset? Yeah, they're wonderful. But is a baby being born just as beautiful as someone dying a horrible death from cancer? Stand by somebody's hospital bed as someone is dying and tell them the sunrise is as beautiful as the sunset and see what happens. Now, I'm saying that facetiously, don't actually do that because they will probably slap you and and if they do, you probably deserve it if you said that. But we deny the reality of death, the horridness of it, the pain of it. We push it down and, and suppress it. It's even, you know, we, we even identify denial as one of the stages of grief. Death is not what God intended for the creation. Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through the one man. His one act represented us. Verse 18, Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation of all men. It's just like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.22, for in Adam, or excuse me, 15.21, for in Adam all die. Verse 19, the last one there. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. And we do become sinners and we do compound on Adam's one act. And it's not as if we're just judged for Adam's sin because we go on and we have a whole plethora of sins that we add to that, that we are rightly held guilty. So you can't just say, well, it's all Adam's fault. No, you sin too. You and I are all sinners. We need Christ and we need Christ to represent us. And this is the hope of this passage. Christ's one act. Look at verse 16. And we're going to go now the second half of the verse. Let me read the whole thing. And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin. For the judgment following one man's trespass brought condemnation. That's Adam. But Christ, the free gift following many trespasses, brought justification. So it's not as if Christ's act just undoes the sin of Adam. It's not like he just sets it all back to neutral and says, well, now go on and try to do it right for yourself. But but it's after many trespasses. It's after many sins where sin abounds. God's grace has abounded all the more so that many trespasses, including Adam's, are undone by the one act of the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to know how powerful the cross of Christ is? It is one act that defeats sin and death for all eternity. For the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Verse 17, look at the second half of the verse again. Much more 
Will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign through the one man, Jesus Christ? So there is an emphasis here that you need to receive the gift. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to put your faith and trust in Jesus and enjoy and experience that union with him by faith or through faith. We move from being on team Adam to being on team Christ. And you're going to get tired of me saying that by the end. It's going to be like the new hashtag, right? Team Christ. But it displays the representation Look at verse 18. So one act of righteousness led to justification and life for all men. One act of righteousness. Christ being the righteous one dying on the cross leads to justification and life of all people. Now, Paul is not preaching universalism here. He's not saying that all are automatically saved. He's made it clear the verses before that it's for those who receive the abundance of grace. It's for those who partake of the free gift. But what he is talking about is the act represents all who are in Christ. Remember 1 Corinthians 15? In Adam all die. In Christ, all are made alive. And then it says in the next verse, first Christ who is the first fruits, and then at his coming, all who what? Belong to Christ. Everybody is in Adam by virtue of who we are as human beings. We need to come and be in Christ. It's part of God's plan from before the foundations of the world, but we also need, when we hear the gospel, to respond by faith. And Christ's one act brings righteousness and life to everyone who is in Christ. He brings it to all of His people. So when Paul says all men here or all people, he's not speaking all in a universal, absolutely everyone automatically gets justification in life. He's speaking of all that Jesus represents. And Christ actually accomplishes the justification and the life of the people he represents. You are either an heir of Adam or you're an heir of Christ. Those who hear that Jesus Christ died need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and receive Him, as Paul says, and have Christ come and be their representative. But Christ's one act does the work for His people. What do I contribute to my salvation What do I bring to the table? Do I help God in any way? The only thing that I bring to the table is my sin. Christ's work, His one righteous act, accomplishes justification. We know that justification is by faith, meaning that we receive it through faith. But it is His 
actual acts that make it possible, make it effective, make it able to be. Christ is the righteous one and I can now be declared righteous in Christ because He died for me. Look at verse 19, the second half as well. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. This is an echo here, I think, of Isaiah 53, 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, that's a reference to Jesus, by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Romans 4.25, who, Jesus speaking of him, it says, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The point that we are saying is this. The cross of Jesus Christ saves. It saves sinners. Have you come to the cross? Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and and partaken of this gift? Have you admitted your sins and said, yes, I am in Team Adam and it's awful and I deserve punishment and death and say, I want Jesus as my Savior. I believe. In Him. The reign of God's grace, and this is the third thing, the reign of God's grace surpasses the reign of the death in Adam. Verse 21, So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God offers grace. He has put Christ forward as the perfect sacrifice for sin so that grace might reign, so that death is defeated. I hope you realize that, that the final goal, the final outcome is death is destroyed. 1 Corinthians 15, oh, death, where is your victory? Why? Because Jesus Christ died and rose again. Two questions for you this morning. Who represents you? Who represents you? Does Adam still represent you? Or does Jesus Christ represent you? And maybe some of us here have to make a decision today. We need to put our faith in the Lord Jesus. We need to see who we are in our sins And turn to Christ and say to him, please, save me. Be my representative. The second thing is if you can say that Christ represents you, recognize that you are united to his death and his resurrection. This is where Paul will actually go with his argument in chapter uh, uh, 6. But Christ stands on your behalf. You know how we sing in the hymn that, that Jesus shows His wounded hands and names us as His own? That's, that's Him being our representative. I, I realize that's, that's poetic license there in the language, but it, it portrays a key truth. Christ stands as your representative. You 
have justification because Jesus Christ died and rose again and did the righteous act on your behalf so that you could receive it. Your faith doesn't make you righteous. I don't get righteousness by by how I live. I'm able to stand before God because of how Christ stood there for me. Paid for my sins. And carried out the righteous act that I need to be justified. We receive that through faith. Do you have a confidence in the cross of Christ? Sometimes when we're struggling with something, that's precisely where we need to go. Back to the cross and say, what did Jesus do for me? Sometimes in our Christian lives, we get cocky as we go through our life. Maybe we are making progress in our holiness or our behavior, but it can suddenly become a thing where very subtly sin will creep up and we start to get confident in our own abilities. If we want to be confident in our own abilities, look at who we were in Adam. We had no abilities. We had nothing to offer. Look at who you are in Christ. Christ has offered it all and done the work of salvation for you. Lastly, just consider this morning the perfection of Christ's representation. That His one act here accomplishes justification. It establishes all of the legal grounds and all of the necessary components for salvation are worked out because Christ on His one act died for us. It's through faith that we come to partake of that. It's through faith that we come to receive the gift. But Christ is the one who, if I can put it this way, built the entire gift. Christ is the grounds, the reason the whole gift is established. The reason that the gift is there in the first place. Because Christ had a perfection in His work. That He stood to represent His people. Come and be one of His people. Receive Him through faith. Walk in His ways. And enjoy that precious thing that that we call union with Christ or a relationship with Jesus. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for Your goodness and Your kindness. We thank You for the work of the Lord Jesus Christ that His one act leads to, accomplishes justification for all who receive this gift. Oh Lord, we praise You. We praise You that from before the foundations of the world You planned this. And in the fullness of time You you worked this out perfectly. We thank You for Your goodness and Your kindness and Your abounding love. May we be reminded that where our sins abound, grace abounds even more so that grace might reign through life which is found in Jesus Christ. We praise You for that. In His precious name, Amen.